Hi, I'm Dan Costa with the Prairie State Bonsai Society. We're out here at our annual show out at the Morton Arboretum in Lyle, and you're listening to Q4 Radio, and the Mike Novak Show will start in 3, 2, 1. Cold gardeners, before we proceed to plant a yard for her, we really should consult a master gardener. Yes, yes, we should consult a master gardener. Yes, yes, you should consult a master gardener. model of a modern master gardener with knowledge at my fingertips provided by my partner. I surf the NCS who cites my list and categorical for answers to your questions, both specific and rhetorical. I'm very well acquainted too with vagaries botanical. I know my propagation both by layers and mechanical. About the maintenance of lawns I'm known with quite a wide renown. I even know when laying sod it's best to put the brown side down. He even knows when laying sod it's best to put the brown side down. He even knows when laying sod it's best to put the brown side down. He even knows when laying sod it's best to put the brown side, brown side down. I'm very good at Latin names and how to sort and classify, and when in doubt I simply add an um or an E-R-D-I. In short, in horticulturedness, I need no further smart owner to be the very model of a modern master gardener. In short, in horticulturedness, he needs no further smart owner to be the very model of a modern master gardener. Live from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, just this side of the concrete-encrusted banks of the north branch of the Chicago River, it's The Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program, heard every Sunday on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. Good planets are hard to find, temperate zones and tropic climbs, True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. He doesn't own the word green, he merely rents it for a small fee. Here he is, Mike Novak. Right, I got my mic on. I think that's you. Hello? Yeah, there you go. And that's you? Yeah, I'm here. Here we go. Stand by. All together now. One more time! See, our our poor guest had no idea what was going on there. That's uh, Stephen Cutter, um, who I uh, referred lovingly to in my post as the G-Master. The Ooh. G Master has returned. Ooh. How do you like that? I like that. I've been you looking like that for a nickname, and uh, you can't give yourself a nickname, so uh, that's the best one I've gotten so far. Good. Yeah. I'm glad you uh, you like that one. So um, there we go. I'll take it. I'll take the it. The G Master. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show. That's uh, Peggy Malecki sitting next to me. Good um, morning. Uh, good morning to you. Uh, and how about this? A cool Sunday morning. Is nice. that something? Yeah. That's great stuff. 
you know, I like it. <laughs> uh, you know me, I'd rather, I'd be rather be wearing a jacket. And that's Stephen Cutter, the G master, uh, um, who is our, we don't have George Brigandi in studio today, who is our token millennial. So Stephen, oh, you I, are the token millennial. I can do both. Yeah. yeah. Does he get a bearding? Of course you I think you're a little, you're a little older than George. I'm not sure how long you've been yeah, on this planet. I'm 32. I've been on this earth. Okay, yeah. all right. A couple years older than George. Yeah, yeah. George is, uh, he's a 20 something. Yeah. We're very excited about the show. Oh, by the way, that thing you heard at the top of the show. I have found that if I'm listening to the start of a program, there'll be music playing because they have a lot of music that uh, fills in the gaps in between shows here. If the top of the hour comes and the music is playing, the music just keeps playing. So, for instance, my show sometimes doesn't start at the top of the hour because there's music. But if you refresh it, suddenly the show is there. And I'm not sure why that is. And I'm wondering if anybody else who's listening right now has experienced that problem. And Peggy, I think, is tweeting or... I'm tweeting. You're tweeting um, about that right now. Okay. So um, I, I'm just curious. I need some data here. <laughs> I need some anecdotal data since i don't won't have scientific data uh so anecdotally have you had this experience where you thought the show hadn't started because the music is playing and then you refreshed your browser and suddenly the show was on so we're trying to figure out why that happens and if that happens um so please tweet at mike now is the handle or write on facebook the mike novak show you can even send an email to me mike at mike Dare we say they should Instagram, but you have to have a picture too, don't you? To, to, yeah. Yeah. Unless they have a picture of their browser not working. You know, exactly. No, they could shoot a video with sound and put that on Instagram. Well, Kathleen was going to do that and prove that it happened and then it didn't happen that week. So it's, I don't know. Uh, so if you can't hear us, tell us. All right. Right. If, you can't, if, you, if you're listening right now and you can't hear us, please send us a message. Thank you very much. <laughs> Oh, dear. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, good luck with your project, too, but we'll get to that in a second. And uh, that is Stephen Cutter uh, from G-Ride. Um, uh, do, do you just call it G-Ride? What's the, that's yeah. the short name. Do you have a longer name for it? No, no. it's G-Ride, uh, and their slogan's Move with Purpose. Yeah, G-Ride, and uh, G-Ride is a, a, a ride-sharing program, and, yeah. and uh, we will talk about that. Uh, green ride-sharing program, yes. Okay, so Brian Boros says it won't play for me. It won't. That, that's tell my co-founder. Him, did, did you tell him to refresh? Well, he's on the Q4 Radio Facebook page, clicking live feed, and says Uh-oh. it won't play. No. Anybody else having an issue with that? Oh, if you're not, if if you're listening on uh, okay. on Facebook and you can't hear us, please let us know. Annie Haven, though, can hear us loud and clear on the left coast. Uh, but what is she listening on? Annie, what are you listening on? We need to know, Annie. Is it Facebook? Or do you go to Facebook? Or do you go to the website? Or do you go to the TuneIn app? Uh, she's typing. She's typing. She's typing, typing. She's typing. Technology. Uh, I know. And uh, I know Sarah Batka is out there because she tweeted earlier about, um, well, Rob Carthal, uh, Coke Dog, tweeted yesterday, I believe, that his Marshall Strawberry is alive. Uh, I guess there's one. He has one. And Sarah says she has one. 
I have so many, I don't know what to do with them. I have so many Marshall strawberry babies in my backyard. They have taken over the berm in the middle of the yard. You have and a strawberry nursery. I have a strawberry, and I have them in pots. I've, I've got the runners going into pots, and they're rooted, and I'm going to give some away. Ah, Annie says she tunes into Q4.org. So, Annie, you haven't had that problem where you're listening to the music and then it's, it continues the music? Uh, does my show start right at 9 o'clock? Do you, do you have it on before 9 o'clock? And Sarah Batka said she hears Sarah us. Sarah can hear us, too. So we can take care of that in the background. All right. So anyway. So anyway, my Marshall Strawberries are doing great. Um, and um, Marshall Strawberry is the we, – we talked on the show with uh, Leah Gautier, Gautier uh, who's an artist, a food artist, which is very strange. But um, <laughs> she's rescued the Marshall Strawberry from near extinction. Uh, I guess she res- rescued it from extinction because it could possibly have done that. Um, and uh, now they're all over the country, and who knows? I, you know, I've got a bunch. I should be selling them because she sells them for like 30 bucks a pop. Um, and I've been just giving them away. So uh, it's like, it's me. I just give and give and give. It's, it's like the radio thing. It's all free. You know, what can I tell you? Getting back to who's on the show, and by the time we finish that, you won't have any time, Stephen. <laughs> Uh, Stephen Cutter from uh, uh, G-Ride. And then in uh, 930, Whitney Richardson and Tova McCord are going to be in studio. Everybody's in studio today. It's and really they're cool. here. Are they here already? They're here. Oh, good. Uh, they're with the, ki- the Kitchen Community Chicago. So are they hanging out with the guy sleeping on the couch out there? I haven't asked them yet. Uh, maybe they are. I hope he's, hope he's not snoring. The Kitchen cu- Community Chicago. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> is uh, helping kids plant gardens, and learn about fresh food. Uh, so how cool is that? And they're doing it in a blah, 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 bunch of places. They're, they're in uh, Denver. They're in uh, Chicago. They're in Los Angeles. Uh, and I forget, like 100,000 schools or something. Not 100,000 schools, 100,000 kids or something. Yeah. It's, uh, I have to go it look It was 100,000 kids. 100,000 kids. So um, they're going to tell us why they're doing it and how they're doing it. Uh, 10 o'clock, Nick Fuller from Natural Communities Native Plants is back. Um, and in case you didn't hear it last week, if you uh, put an order for your native plants before the end of August and you put in the name Mike Novak, you get a 10% discount. So how Pretty cool, cool. How cool is that? See, Stephen, you, you're going to have to do something like that on your G-Ride. Yeah, we'll give discounts to everybody. Yeah, everybody. Every, everyone gets Although you've got a discount coming up, uh, something to do with a Tesla, I, and I'll ask you about that in yeah, a second. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Nick Fuller is here. Uh, if we have time, it, uh, can, uh, Peggy and I were at the um, – Independent Garden Center show at Navy Pier this week and did a couple of interviews, Had met a lot of people. We really did and had some fun and learned a few cool things. Um, so uh, we might play some of that from the IGC show, uh, which was uh, it happens every year at Navy, Navy Pier. Uh, and, of course, Rick DeMaio Weather at uh, 1045, um, and he sent me a bunch of stuff yesterday about rainfall totals. Yikes. There's, there's, you know, I, the last few days I go out in my basement once a day to make sure it isn't flooded. Um, and it hasn't been. Give me a, yes, thank you. That's, that's, you know, that's like a knock on, okay, I can knock on whatever the substance is here. Okay. Uh, and hope uh, it doesn't flood. 
but a lot of uh, oh the parakeet. Can you put the parakeet? Well, there's there was a dead no. parakeet here uh, when we came in. Actually, not a real dead parakeet. No, just a. It's a battery. A battery operated <laughs> parakeet. I don't even know what it's supposed to do when the batteries work. All right, that's the Mike Novak show today. Stephen Cutter M Cutter Junior Junior. Yeah. Stephen M Cutter Junior, the man with his arm in a cast. Yeah. We're, we're not going to tell folks why, unless you want to. Uh, no, I think it's a, I think it's a good story. So I broke my arm a couple of weeks ago um, with my new girlfriend. We we've been camping. We're doing this urban vagabond thing. Um, so when the first night I met her, uh, I told her I've been camping in trees in Chicago city limits, and she said that's really cool. I want to do that. So uh, the last five weeks we've been you know periodically finding trees to camp in, and uh, our strap broke when we were 20 feet up like two weeks ago. And we woke with a thud, and uh, she she fractured her wrist and uh, broke oh, her you arm. You didn't tell me that she broke yeah. something, yeah, too. Yeah, she had surgery. Yeah, she did have surgery, three plates. Wait, wait, arm. you didn't have surgery? No, I just broke a little bone in my arm, so there's a little jealousy factor on, on my healing compared to hers. And, now, uh, who's jealous of whom is what I want to... She's a little upset that I, I didn't get as hurt as she, she was, but... Oh, my goodness. She's good. Okay. Uh, but then I had to meet her parents. The first time I meet her parents were at the hospital at the surgery room, so... Um, not the typical ideal way, but uh, they're they're kind of uh, the of the hippie generation, so they uh, they understand. They kind of get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh dear. But uh, See, that's but, how much we like trees at, at G Right. He's a tree, not only a tree hugger, but a tree sleeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's very peaceful uh, waking up uh, in a tree with the in the, the city. Rising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do it at the beach sometimes, up by uh, Montrose or Foster, and. Um, I have to kind of wait now until my hand heals to get back I would into think. Trees. Yeah, because yeah, if you fall out now, it's going to really hurt. Yeah, yeah. So what 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 does sleeping in trees have to do with uh, G-Ride? Um, well, we have a, a deep appreciation for nature at G-Ride. Um, so we're the first uh, green rideshare company uh, to market, and we're only going to have green vehicles. Give them a ding for that. The first. But, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of shocking, but... Um, there that, that, there, there hasn't one. been one. There hasn't been, been one yet. Uh, well, because Uber... Uh, has been busy making so much money. They're like worth worth thirty eight million dollars. No, no billion, billion, yeah, billion. I think it's sixty billion dollars. Oh, is that um, what it is? Yeah, yeah but no, uh, and and then and even Lyft is worth, uh, I believe, I think ten billion. Really, I thought yeah. it was more in the hundreds of millions. No. Um, really? No. Yeah, they're they're do, both that big. They're going to do two billion. All right, in uh, Peggy's going to look it so. up now. I know she's going to do research on this. <laughs> but, uh, but that's another thing that sets us apart. Not just being green, we're we're, we're the first B Corp um, rideshare company. All right, explain what a B Corp. So is. Uh, basically, we're for the the triple bottom line: uh, planet first, uh, people, and profit. And I say planet first, and people look at me confused, but. If uh, if we don't take care of the planet first, there's not going to be any people left uh, <laughs> on it. Kind of true, actually. So, yeah. um, so we're for the triple bottom line: uh, people, uh, planet, people, and profit. Um, so we we can put in our guidelines uh, certain environmental and social impact uh, models to that we are fiduciary responsible to before our shareholders. So really, so wait, wait, wait. So that is a legal definition yep. Yep. of yeah. a B Corp. Yeah. How uh, did you know of, this? Peggy, she, she's just nodding like, yeah, I yeah. do it all the time. I, I can't tell you how many B Corps I run. <laughs> yeah, I've sold millions of them. I bet you have. I mean, it's I, first I've ever heard of it. Yeah, it's relatively new within the last three years. Um, and we're gonna, we want to be like the movement for it, uh, raise awareness that you don't have to just be for profit. You can be for um, impact as well. 
And actually, I was I was driving rideshare last night, and uh, I met a guy that uh, said he's quitting his job at a typical you know Fortune 500 company, going to Singapore to get his MBA in social impact. And uh, I think people are fed up with just having a job for the sake of making money, and they want to be a part of something uh, bigger than themselves. So uh, that's kind of our our whole model is uh, to make an impact, not make money. So and uh, we should announce because I think we're the first people. To, to announce that your Indiegogo yeah. just went live this morning. Yeah, yeah. We All just right. uh, we just launched our Indiegogo page uh, this morning. Uh, uh, you're getting a lot of beer dings here this morning. Yeah, right. nice. <laughs> and and I've got it. If you want it, uh, have we put it up on uh, Facebook yet? We should put it up on uh, Facebook and the Twitter. I, I'm attempting to. The Twitter confuser. Uh, the Twitter distraction. Uh, yeah, we're, uh, Peggy's uh, attempting to multitask here and do that. It's already at, uh, if you go to MikeNovak.net um, and uh, read about this week's show, um, it says the the return of the G Master on there, and then just uh, under his photo, which I took when I went to one of your events. Nice. Um, it says uh, launch, it says Indiegogo campaign, uh, and there's a link there, and it'll take you to the Indiegogo campaign. So what we're hoping is, um, well, you're trying to raise two <laughs> million dollars. Yeah, if you're going to ask for money, you might as well ask for a lot, right? Uh, I, yeah, you might as well. So I want the first mill to be raised by 9.30 today, okay? Just from the Mike Novak show. Hear that, show. everyone? Okay, there's the challenge. I'm throwing the, the gauntlet out there. Okay, but but if people do go there and, and they contribute to the campaign, uh, what are they going to get out of it? So we have a handful of different rewards, but um, we're trying to reward the planet as one of our, our main goals. So with every donation... Well, don't be touchy-feely <laughs> with me, pal, okay? So we're trying to... We're trying to um, about a half of the rewards are based towards planting trees and saving uh, the rainforest. Well, uh, and that's and that's part of the deal. With every ride, you plant a tree. Yeah, yeah, correct. Every ride, we plant a tree, and every hundred rides, we're going to save acre rainforest. Uh, we're also going to be doing work with the coral reefs because uh, they're an important part of our plan mm-hmm. as well. So, so are you working with a group for the yep, coral reef? Yep, there's uh, there's three different groups we're working with, um, and we're also going to be offsetting our carbon footprint. So the goal is to take care of the the air, the earth, and the water. Um, but the rewards, uh, so you you plant some trees. We also want to promote hemp. Uh, hemp's a we're using. Oh, long- give him a, a beer ding, definitely for hemp. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there we the, go. All our promo gear uh, we're we're going to be creating is going to be made out of sustainable stuff, uh, mainly hemp. Uh, so we'll have hemp stickers, uh, hemp bracelets, uh, hemp t-shirts, hemp hats. Um, most people don't know the all the environmental benefits of hemp. And uh, we wanna, we're working with uh, Vote Hemp to actually get people aware of all the environmental benefits. It's the most sustainable crop we can grow, and it's illegal to grow. So, um, uh, he 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 kind of slipped that in there. It's illegal to grow. Not in all states, though. No, there's uh, I think three states that it's, there's. Well, there's pilot programs in like 15, but it's mainly for research and development. And, and basically, it's illegal to grow. Um, because wait, let me think. Let me find the word for it. We're stupid, okay? As well, as a country, we're stupid. And it's got a long history of why it's illegal to go. Yeah, to well, and and it has to do with certain industries uh, not wanting the competition, mm-hmm. basically, and crowding yeah. out hemp and and doing it under the guise of oh, it's a drug. Yeah. So you know, so it's very cleverly done. Well, it's a prime example of what uh 
what propaganda is. Uh, in the exactly, in the, yeah. In the, in the 30s, they they made it illegal because it was competing with uh, industry. Um, paper industry was one of the main ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, uh, an acre of hemp can produce as much as 10 acres of a, of a forest, and it regrows every three months rather than every 20 years. Um, so they didn't like these ideas. Yeah, but we like chopping down trees. <laughs> yeah, We're good at it. I yeah. mean. Uh, 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 oh my, a buddy of mine, the tree guardian, he, he tweets to us all the time, Chris Mest, um, sent me, uh, and, it's, and I'm not, oh yeah, here it is. I st- I still, it's an, a window that's been open on my computer for two weeks now, uh, and that, which makes Kathleen crazy uh, when I do that. Uh, and, it, and he sent me this thing about how many trees are there in the world. Mm. Do you know how many, and we're going to talk about this on the show, but I, I have to get this out. Uh, while you're talking about cutting down trees versus using hemp to create mm-hmm. paper, all right. Well, they just there's a survey that was just done, and you can't just do it from space and count trees. You you actually have to sort of have people on the ground as well because it's really hard to see through the canopy and that sort of thing. There are about three point oh four trillion trillion with a T trees. Okay. However, if you think that's a lot. Scientists think that there were, at one point, I believe, about 5.6 trillion is yeah. what we had. So we've mm-hmm. cut it in half. Yeah, we basically cut down uh, a billion trees a year, I think is the stat. Um, now, we replant a lot of them, but, but as you say, you said 20 years. That's for a fast-growing tree, but really yeah, it's, it's 80 30. years yep. is, is for mm-hmm. another harvest. Mm-hmm. And Something so like that. That's one of the cool things. So I didn't even look this up till about two months ago, uh, how many trees are being chopped down every year. And it was around 950 million. And then I looked at how many rides Uber gives a day, uh, and it's about a million rides. So if we can match uh, the biggest, fastest-growing company um, in the last you know, 20 mm-hmm. years, uh, we could be planting 360 million trees a year. Um, and we also have other... Um, kind of advertisement platforms on G-Rind. We're trying to promote green within, make it easy and fun and rewarding. So we uh, we envision a green pond idea. So green pond is basically like Groupon for, for green products, services, and companies and activities. And if you if you watch one of these ads um, while you're waiting for your ride. Hold on. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. And uh, so if you if you watch one of these green ads while you're waiting for your ride, you'll receive a reward point towards free rides. But then if you buy that product during your ride, you get a discount on your fare. Uh, the goal is that uh, 85% of people say they want to be green, but when it comes down to convenience and cost, they don't match up. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to make it as cost-effective and convenient to go green as possible. Uh, and you ha- I'm looking at uh, on the Indiegogo page, and again, uh, you can find it. Uh, have we got it posted in various... It's, it's been tweeted... All right. It's been, the so, gauntlet is down. Annie Haven asked where she can go to contribute. Uh, you can go to gogride.com, and we have the link up there, or you can go to Indiegogo there you and go. search G-Ride. But I'm trying to drive them to my website. Oh, really, yeah, yeah. You no. see, this, it's, it's about marketing, pal, okay? Sorry, no. go to MikeNovak.net. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, you can go to gogride.com. That's fine. You have other opportunities for folks. Um, you mentioned no surge pricing. Yeah. 
what does I don't even know what that means. So yeah, that, that's not a problem. You're not a millennial. You don't you don't get some things that just <laughs> understandable. Um, so I know that you get in a cab and the ticker is starts going and then you pay the guy and yeah. So and, and actually, right, I've done. I've, every, I've ridden Uber. Okay, a, uh, we don't like that word. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. But in He's a regular in a ride sharing vehicle. Yeah, yeah but I'm go- it's going to be G ride from now on. Uh, awesome. We'll be the I, official sponsor of the Mike Novak show. You get free rides for life. How about that? Okay. Uh, okay. I get, that works for me. Here, twist his well, arm. Yeah, really. Maybe 10, 10 a month. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's already scaling it back. Wait a minute. That's the note. That's hang on. Um, but no. Uh, so surge pricing, uh, I feel it's unfair. Um, and what is it? So if they say the demand's really high, um, they jack up the price mm-hmm. three, four times uh, a lot of times, and uh, See, which is. You know, and people not cabs all the time, but you know what you're getting. Well, exactly. You know what the so rate a, is. a cab's been around. You know what the rate is. You're never going to pay two, three times. And I've given 20 minute rides where they've been hundred dollars before, and you can fly to Denver for hundred dollars round trip. Sometimes. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. Not, not for a 20 minute ride. Um, so we're going to eliminate the surge pricing. I found a lot of people that's one of their pain points. Um, so we feel if there's no surge pricing at all, people are not going to have to ever switch from us, and that's one of the main reasons people switch from one platform to the other if there's higher pricing. So. Um, I don't like gouging people. I think there should be a fair price for all. Uh, the, the current rideshare companies use them to say to match supply and demand, but um, I found more people are when it is a surge price, they just wait 10 minutes because that's all it really takes for the surge zone to go away, or they switch to another platform, and that's kind of what we're, we're banking on. So. Uh, and that is Stephen Cutter, who is, uh, bills himself as Green Visionary. I like that. <laughs> I actually like that. Well, I, I didn't build myself. That was my uh, my co-founder. I have a wizard co-founder that uh, he gave me that name, and uh, I haven't really a I real like, wizard. Is he a real wizard? He's a uh, he's a wizard in training. He's uh, he's in the process. <laughs> I uh, I actually met him at the school of metaphysics. Uh, so he studies everything astrology. Wait 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 you. <laughs> This is a guy. Would that be the Chicago one, the Bolingbroke one, or the Palatine the, the, one? Nice. Peggy, uh, Peggy might have been. Oh, one in, uh, no. In, she in, knows in, this <laughs> stuff, too. Help. Portage Park. Uh, I met him. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then so I met him at, at the School of Metaphysics, and he told me to read The Art of War. Uh, and I did. And then uh, I actually met up with him again at a Bernie Sanders rally uh, at Chicago State. I was selling Bernie hemp T-shirts uh, at the time. Did they uh – Haul you off to the Who's Gow? No, that? no. I uh, I learned the hard way at Farm Aid when I first tried to sell them that you need a, a peddler's license. They threatened to arrest me and confiscate all my stuff. But but it wasn't because yeah. of the hemp. It was just because you didn't have a license <laughs> yeah, to sell yeah, it. Yeah. I mean that's that's the weird thing. It's like I don't care about the hemp T-shirt. It's just get yourself a license, kid. Yeah, yeah. But so uh, I met him at the Bernie Sanders thing, um, and then uh, I called him, and he loves to tell this love story. Uh, I called him. And the only reason he answered is because my number ended in 777. And he's the 777 adventurer on, on Facebook. Um, but, no, he's a, he is a wizard in training. And uh, he <laughs> looks just like a wizard, too. He's got the... Is that the guy the, with the hat? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. On your website? And, uh, he, uh, he's trying to manifest us a sugar mama right now. That's, uh, that's his main goal. So I wanted to bring up a couple of other things um, about this, uh, about being a G-Rider. We mentioned no surge pricing. You say first ride $20 off in a Tesla. What do you mean by that? So um, I met a guy that uh, has a, a green limousine company uh, called Green Lux. And uh, I met him at a fundraiser for schools in Rwanda. And 
I told him my idea, and he said, I want to do everything I can to help you out. Was it for metaphysical schools <laughs> in Rwanda? No, no, okay. reg- regular art schools. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm actually doing some work with a group called um, Simple Good. They do mindfulness art for kids. But um, anyways, I met him, and uh, he said, I want to do everything I can to help you out. So I said, I, I want Tesla rides. So um, there'll be scheduled rides in your, in your first Tesla probably on the weekend, weekend nights. Wait, wait, so you can get a ride in a Tesla, and your first ride is 20 bucks off? $20 off, yeah. yeah. Just for Tesla. ordering. Now, does it, will a Tesla cost more because it's a Tesla? Well, yeah, it's definitely going to cost more. Uh, okay. But, uh, because you're going to look cool. Yeah. You're going to be pulling up in a Tesla. Yeah. And you tell your friends, get ready with your, your, your cell phones yeah. uh, and take videos of us pulling up yeah. in the Tesla. Well, I mean, going, we're trying to, going up on the side. Yeah, we're trying to make uh, going green sexy. But we also want to make it safe, too. So I've, I've made some partnerships to, to do that. Uh, well, first of all, eco-friendly drivers get 15 to 20% less accidents. Um, but I've also partnered with a company. What's an eco-friendly driver? Uh, hybrid or electric. Okay. So they actually get in 15 to 20% less accidents. And, and why is that? Um, I feel like, well, one of the, the things is that it's called the Prius effect. Uh, by having the gauge of the amount of energy you're using right in front of you, yeah. you're more mindful of it. So you actually you don't accelerate as fast and you don't, you don't stop no, as No, no, no. See, I figure it's because a Prius costs so much darn money, they're thinking, <laughs> oh, my Gosh, if I crash this, I've, I've got to pony up again. No, actually, they're, they're, the price of these green vehicles are coming down. And uh, we actually have a fleet deal with Nissan. Um, so you'll get the $7,500 federal credit, um, and you also get an $8,000 uh, off uh, a Nissan Leaf. So you get a total of $15,000 off a Nissan Leaf with, uh, with G-Ride. And we also have partnerships with uh, – well, let me finish the safer rides, okay? All right. Uh, so one's called Guard Llama. Um, it's a push-button service to alert authorities to your GPS location. So there's been over 6,000 harassment cases with uh, Uber and Lyft. Um, and really? So, yep. That's a big deal, huh? Yeah. The, the, no, wait, the, the drivers are harassing? Mainly, the, it's mainly the drivers harass mm-hmm. the Yeah, because anybody can do it. You don't yeah. have to get a license or anything. No, it's just yep, like you yep. got Eddie. So is the Guard Llama an app or is it something it's actually app, in the vehicle? It's an app that's integrated uh, into It's going to be integrated into our software. So all you have to do is push the button to alert authorities to your GPS location. And then we have another one called Text Ninja. Uh, they're out of mm-hmm. Chicago as well. But I, I get the feeling that green drivers are not going to hassle their passengers, except maybe to say, could you put that cigarette out, please? Oh, yeah. <laughs> or No, but nobody's going to smoke in one of these things. But you know what I mean? It's, it, yeah, if, no. you're, if you're already getting a green car, mm-hmm. I got a feeling that you're probably a little friendlier. Yep. No, I, I even found that in even in the business world that um, – the startup community that green companies just want to help out other green companies. Yeah. Um, B Corps. Uh, yeah, B Corps. Um, but uh, another one is Text Ninja, which uh, minimizes texting and driving, and then it rewards the drivers for, for not doing so. So if you're not texting, how does it know when you're so driving? It, it's hooked up to Bluetooth uh, to your, your car, or you can put a computer chip in. So it, does it know it, when you pull off to the side, put it in park yep. and text? Wow. Yeah, yeah. And those when you, if you stop for longer than five seconds, uh, we'll allow the text messages okay. to come through. But uh, let, <laughs> That's me, true. let me add one more uh, cool benefit. So, w- with being a B Corp, uh, we're trying to take care of the drivers a lot better, mm-hmm. too. Um, so we're going to give them equity options uh, in the company. Yeah, so, that, that's what I was going to get to next yeah. year. Yeah, uh, commission, higher commission, you say, yep. and higher equity options. Uh, equity options. So we're going to have a, a, at least a 20% pool of our equity going to be released to the drivers so they can get in on the ground floor and help expand the company. They're also going to have a spot on the board. Uh, and we're going to help pay for green vehicles. Um, and the plus we want to do, uh, we're, we're toying with a residual income model. Uh, so if, you, if I signed up you, Mike, to be a G-Rider, 
instead of just getting a one-time bonus, we can have maybe 1% or 2% mm -hmm. of your annual money spent uh, to go towards the drivers. And the average user spends around $2,000 a year. So if you get 1,000 people signed up, you could potentially make uh, $20,000 to $40,000 uh, off of residual income. So, so if someone wants to become a driver for you, what mm -hmm. do they need to do? Uh, they need to go to goGride.com. Uh, we have a, a sign-up sheet. Uh, we're currently raising funds, and we're looking to launch. Uh, it's about four to six weeks from when you get funded uh, with the license and the insurance process. Have you gone live with the G-Ride, or no, you're, uh, you're waiting for the Indiegogo or part of it? Or yeah, How does yeah, this yeah. going to work? So um, we have the app ready uh, on the Play Store for beta testing. Uh, so the software is ready, um, and we, we need to raise funds. 250000 is our minimum to raise to get past the insurance barrier. It's one hundred fifty grand for the insurance policy. $150,000 yeah. just for the – well, no wonder yeah. you're trying to get $2 million. Yep, yep. Uh, so it's it's two hundred fifty grand just to get us up and running. Um, and then we the goal is to prove, prove out the model in the first six months in Chicago uh, and then expand quickly. Um, and I had a group of like four MBA students put together an expansion plan for us. So we have about 25 cities that we're, we're looking to go to. And I got a, uh, another uh, and, thing. And is, how, are you going to start here in Chicago? Or start, you... yeah, we're starting in Chicago. Um, and uh, we have another partnership with a company called Lego. And they're an electric vehicle leasing company for rideshare. Uh, and what's really cool with their platform is you don't need a green vehicle to drive rideshare, but you also don't need insurance. Uh, and you don't have to pay for gas. Uh, you won't have a car payment or maintenance or have to pay for parking. So it's actually 50% cheaper to drive one of these electric vehicles um, than your own vehicle to do rideshare. So drivers can save 50% on the cost uh, uh, to do it to have their own business, um, and they also can you can go on your phone and find one and uh, and unlock it with your phone and, and drive it for a shift, or they have the enterprise model that will pick you up at your house to start your shift. Hmm. So yeah, it's uh, you got you got all you've got everything covered, right? <laughs> I, I got as much covered as I possibly can without raising money and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Without actually having any, any money, money. To, to start. One, one of my first uh, mentors I brought this to, he's been kind of guiding me and connecting me along the way. And he told me a month ago, he said, I'm really surprised how far you've gotten with no money. And I said, when you lack resources, you get really resourceful. So, um, Ooh, write that down. Yeah. When you lack resources. See, I tell my new girlfriend that when I say some stuff to write it down, like, you know, it was profound and she just laughs at me. Well, we tweeted yeah. out. <laughs> When you lack resources, you get really resourceful. Yeah, you, well, that's what I've learned. I wasn't always that way. It took me a failed business to learn that. So, oh, I, I you, you want my list of failed businesses? <laughs> you want them alphabetically or chronologically? We could, we we can do that. You got it. You uh, that is Stephen Cutter from a G Ride. Uh, again, the website is. GoGride.com or MikeNovak.com. No, no. GoGride.com is the site. But, yes, you can go to my website, MikeNovak.net, and uh, find out about uh, the Indiegogo, which launched this morning. And you can take a look at what they're doing and uh, be part of the launch of G-Ride. The Green Revolution. The Green Revolution. Yeah. And uh, I think um, the next thing you guys got to do is have – Hemp cushions in the car or hemp uh, seats. Yeah, we got, we got to have. We're gonna have. Yeah, we're gonna have hemp everything. So, yeah. <laughs> hemp everything. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're gonna have our mascot be a, a green Buddha instead of like the the pink mustache. We're gonna uh -huh. have a green Buddha. So we're trying to promote green peace. You know. Oh, that's great stuff. Well, Stephen, thank you for coming into the studio this time. Yeah. See, it's a lot more fun, isn't it? Even with a broken arm, it's yeah. it's a lot more fun. It's always fun talking to you, Mike. I got a feeling uh, you're going to be on the show again. Um, I'm I'm really eager to see how this goes, and both uh, Peggy and I are, and. Uh, 
uh, we're we're hoping for great things from you. I appreciate it. Thank you. All very right. Much. Thank uh, you. This is probably the last week uh, that you can find a July August issue of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine because it's on the newsstands, and if you well, if you don't get it in the mail, you'd have to find it there. So listen up. Each bi-monthly issue of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine is absolutely filled with gardening riches, including information about what to do each month in your own backyard. For instance, this is the time to divide irises and peonies for next year. This is also the last gasp for getting your fall vegetables going. And you would know all of this if you read the What to Do in the Garden column, which appears in every issue. And... If you read my own column on the inside back page, you would know exactly what not to do in your garden. Just saying. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com. But if you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com. Or call 888-265-3600. 888-265. Is that right? Yeah. 265 3600 Looking for a housing investment that can pay big dividends? Remodel your kitchen or bathroom. You'll freshen up your home and add value to it too. Trust DR Services Unlimited 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling needs. Kitchens, bathrooms, master suites and more. Rated A+ by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of Nary. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at restorethenorthshore.com. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. Did you know Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? Hi, I'm Peggy, and I know this is true because for six years I've been publishing Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you do need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicagoland who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga instructors, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural Awakenings. Feel good, live simply, laugh more. I'm expert in the field of fertilizer and soil supplement. My sense of taste gets NPK correct within a few percent. And lumen, sand, and silt I can pontificate at least a day. Just don't ask that I tried the slippery slope of Carolina clay. I understand the stages of most insect metamorphosis. Can calculate without a pause most pesticidal doses. At counting wings and segments, all an entomologist could wish. I even know which lepidopter ought to leave and those to squish. Even knows which lepidopter ought to leave and those to squish. Even knows which lepidopter ought to leave and those to squish. Even knows which lepidopter ought to leave and those to squish. 
I specialize in weed ID with yearly and perennial. Collaborate on research to expose the rare cardinal. In short, in matters floral, with extension as my partner, I am the very model of a modern master gardener. In short, in matters floral, with extension as his partner, he is a very model of a modern master gardener. I got that sent to me by a friend of mine, Connie Golden, and um, that's uh, something called the Kudzu Repertory Company, um, and they're out of uh, North Carolina, and it's a video, actually, and it was filmed in Durham, North Carolina, and it says, no monarchs, lady beetles uh, were harmed in the production of this video. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, it, not only does it apply to master gardeners but to radio hosts as well a lot of the stuff we have there's one more segment that i'll play uh, later in the show but i thought it was uh, worth uh, uh letting folks know about it and uh and some guy named bob kellen put it up and it's on vimeo um Let's and see if i can find it uh well you can just look at the uh, url that we've got right there you probably you could just search for it modern master gardener probably welcome back to the mike novak show on q4 radio 1680 a.m sometimes but mostly on the internet uh, and in the studio, I've got uh, Whitney Richardson and Tova McCord. Whitney, I have to thank you, Whitney, because you came to the premiere of At the Fork, the film, and that's where we met, and uh, Peggy and I met with you. Um, you're a garden educator with the Kitchen Community, Chicago, but you're also with the uh, Farmer's Market in Logan Square. W- mm-hmm. What's your responsibility there? I'm one of the managers there. So last year, I had been the main market manager. Now we have two managers, which is exciting. Um, so I'm in charge of sort of overseeing um, the entire market operations. Wow. Yeah. And that's it, it seems to me I don't go to all the farmer's markets. I go to that one because it's in my neighborhood. But it looks like it's got to be one of the more successful farmer's markets in the city. There are, yeah, we have quite a few vendors and quite a few visitors. Yeah, it's uh, and, and a regular crowd that, sh- that shows up every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, you probably should be there right now, shouldn't you? Pretty soon. <laughs> okay, <laughs> soon. So oh, okay. Uh, and Tova McCord uh, is with the uh, Kitchen Community Chicago. Um, and... You're a regional director or a Chicago director? Exactly. The Kitchen Community is a national organization, and so I manage the team here in Chicago. Okay. Let me just say, first of all, I was surprised because I hadn't been paying attention, and, and, I, and I had seen your name floating out there, and so I saw the, the link uh, to the City of Chicago site. And in 2013, you by 2013, you had already set up 100 gardens in Chicago public schools, and there's a photo of Rahm Emanuel there at the opening of one of them and, and talking about it. And I went, how did I miss this? Uh, <laughs> how did I miss this? Uh, but your gardens are very specific gardens, aren't they, Tova? They're, they're already um, – you're, you're not just building them. There's a specific unit that comes with the kitchen community. Exactly. They are raised beds. Um, and a lot of times we're not using... Can I get you to right up in that mic? I'm yeah. sorry. I wish it were a little more sensitive. Um, so they, our gardens are in raised beds, mm-hmm. and a lot of times we're, we have to um, put in pavers and because we can't use the existing site. So we do all of the construction, put in the raised beds, and then on the installation day, fill it with the soil, the seeds, do all of the planting and irrigation system um, seedlings as well. So we provide all of that to the schools. Yeah. What, what I, I think I, what I meant to say is it's prefab, prefabricated, mm-hmm. The uh, mm-hmm. which is 
different. It's a, it's a different kind of uh, way of doing a community garden uh, because otherwise you would go out and you'd buy lumber and then you would create this. But So why did you decide to do prefab raised beds? It makes it scalable um, because right now we're in 118 schools and um, it, it just, they're modular, so it's easy for us to build quickly. Like you said, in, by 2013, we had 100 gardens. So basically, the first two years in Chicago, we were just building, building, building. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, we're able to do that faster using this modular system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how many gardens now, how many schools have those gardens now in the city of Chicago? 118 right now. Um, we are building. So you had this big burst of activity yeah. and then it kind of <laughs> e- eased up. We pulled back to focus more on the programming. So mm-hmm. now we um, bolt up the, the garden education team. We put on workshops. We do a lot of on site support. And then now we are back in growth mode to um, continue expanding the number of gardens that we have. So, how many do you want to have ultimately here in Chicago? Our goal is to have 200 to be. We're in every geographic region in Chicago, but but we're not in every neighborhood, and mm-hmm. that's our goal. Okay. You've moved on to the, the, the next phase, uh, which was, as you described it again? We grew really fast as far as footprint. We yeah. entered a large number of schools. We slowed down to focus on the programming. So we have That's what I meant, the programming. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what is the programming then? So what is it you go back to these schools, and what are you trying to teach? After a school receives the garden, Um, starting at the installation day. So the installation day is a school-wide introduction to the garden. So we usually start with older students. They help us move the bags of soil and fill the beds um, and install the irrigation system. Child labor? What is wrong with you people? (laughs) (laughs) They seem to like it. They get out of their classes. Teachers like it too, I bet. Exactly. Um, And then by the end of the day, they have a fully planted garden um, and then... Uh, different classrooms will come and tour the gardens. And from that point forward, there are um, there are now four garden educators and a program manager um, that support all of the schools. So um, I mainly have gardens on the west side, what it looks like. Um, when I go and support a school is I ask them what their needs are um, academically and then provide them with classroom resources so that they can better use the garden within the classroom. Um, so the idea is to tie in the garden to what's going on in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and how do you do that? What's the curriculum look like? So we, we will give them uh, science plans and uh, math lessons mm-hmm. that tie into specific standards and say here, and by grade level as well, and saying here is a lesson you can teach in the garden. Um, we also, in our workshop, teach like basic gardening skills, and we have an entrepreneurship program that's just in high schools that we're doing right now over the summer, we hire and train them to be market growers for restaurants. Um, we have two restaurant partners right now, our restaurant, The Kitchen, and also the Google Cafe. Ah. So. And so and how, many, how many of these schools are producing uh, 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 vegetables for the restaurants? There are six high schools yeah. this summer um, working with an entrepreneurship program. And then I do have a number up until – so it's an eight-week program over the summer. Okay. Um, we are at week eight starting tomorrow. So um, up until now, they've grown 149 pounds. Um, and then the schools receive that, that money to do with it as they please to support their garden programs. Yeah. 
So, so those you said those are high schools that mm-hmm. are doing this. I have four students and then a teacher from mm-hmm. every participating high school that grow. Uh-huh. But and there are uh, gardens in grade schools as well, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Most and, of our yeah. gardens are in elementary school. But the grade school kids are not raising it to be sold. Some of them are. So oh, we do okay. yeah, um this year um I've been working with Tova and our program team to develop a farm stand program um to help support elementary schools to learn more business skills and math skills and growing skills Mm -hmm. um, and be able to raise funds internally uh, to support their garden program. So um, there are a couple of schools that are doing it already. McAuliffe Elementary is one of them. And then Agassiz just started this year and they just set up a farm stand um, whenever they have a harvest available and the school community will go and, and purchase from that garden farm stand and um, sometimes it's staffed by kids either from the garden club or the classroom that's been participating the most. How do you time this out? And, and I know this is – I went to the website, and it's in your FAQ uh, page. But obviously kids are out of school for the summer. Mm-hmm. The timing for growing a garden versus when kids go to school does not mesh mm-hmm. really pre- particularly well because they come in in the fall when things are slowing down i mean you can plant a few things and you can do if you've got some sort of covering you can do Mm -hmm. you can raise lettuces and leafies and things like that do you do that or is it a different kind of program in the fall so spring and fall what we um provide to the schools as far as plants are concerned are pretty similar we give them rad we give them a 30 day salad garden basically um, so radishes, peas, and then spinach and lettuce in the spring. And then in the fall, we'll give them um, kale and collards. And so they receive from us just like a blanket. Um, we choose the plants based on a quick maturity rate and then small unit sizes. Ah, there you go. So there aren't going to be tomatoes. There aren't going to be potatoes. Right. Not for spring and fall. Not for spring and fall. And because then, unless you keep the thing going all summer. And right. do you do that in, in certain places? Yeah. We so do provide the them the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we give them more warm, um, not the back to school, the um, end of the school right. year workshops. Mm-hmm. We give them the more warm weather crops or if they just say, you know, we work in this area, but we don't actually live here. We're just going to do a summer cover crop. We do that for the schools as well. And then you have to have somebody who's responsible for keeping it going exactly. in, in case mm-hmm. there's a drought. Exactly. And we're working on that more as we continue to expand our programming because some schools have summer school already. And so that always helps. But then there are other schools where they really shut down um, over the summer and either they'll just a lot of times they'll just do a cover crop um, or they're just not able to maintain it. And we're really working on, okay, how can we solve that problem? Is it bringing in volunteers and we're looking at doing that? Is it asking people in the neighborhood, parents, et cetera? So we're a pretty young organization, and so we don't have a full-fledged like summer volunteer program, but it's definitely something we're working on to supplement our entrepreneurship program because that is going so well. We're hoping to um, hit 1,000 pounds for an eight-week program that we're doing, so we know there's a lot of impact that we can have with our learning gardens. That is uh, Tova McCord, uh, and also in the studio, Whitney Richardson from the Kitchen Community Chicago. You said something very interesting just now, that you're a young organization. How does a young organization muscle their way into Chicago public schools? Um, because let's face it, <laughs> yeah. this is Chicago. Right. Okay. Uh, it's one of the things that's been at the, the forefront of my mind ever since we talked to you and said you were going to be on the show. I thought, okay, how do you get in there? 
how do you how do you get Rahm Emanuel coming out and saying, hey, this is great, and how do you get your product out there when there are so many people trying to do so many different things with schools? So our, our founder did meet with the mayor. Um, I think he was interested in doing a gardening program anyway, but we we are not a CPS vendor. We donate everything to the school, so um, ah. we are not in their budget. Like we do all of the fundraising, private donations, et cetera. Um, so that also helps. And again, having a system that can replicate um, and scale pretty quickly, that was the whole point. In every market that we're in, we try to go in at scale with well, an understanding of this is our goal. Um, well, and, and part of it is that the prefab thing that you said. So everything's uniform. It's, mm-hmm. you know, and if you want to enlarge, you just add another one of those sections on, right? Exactly. So we have a landscape architect on our team. And so, um, so. The gardens are designed to fit the schools. Um, there is some similarity, but like it's it's going. To, we're going to put it where it makes the most sense for the school. So obviously, like you know, where where it can get sun and close to a water, water source, etc. Sun, overrated, <laughs> totally overrated for gar- so, for growing. Yeah. yeah. So what what type of response do you get from the parents? Um, you know, it varies by the school. Parents are really supportive of it. Sometimes we have parents who grew up. With, you know, maybe in a warmer climate where they were able to do this all year. And it's just part of their background, even grandparents. And so they get into it. But it, and it's a nice thing for students to talk about with parents when they get home. And it's really exciting. Sometimes parents want, like, they'll come to the installation day because they want to see what's going on and, and be a part of it. And I think as we expand our farm stand program and things like that, that'll also engage, mm-hmm. continue to engage parents to be involved. And we try to support schools um, if they're having, like, a science night or, um, you know, a night where they want parents to come into the school, sometimes we will be there to say, hey, here's what's going on at your child's school. And um, just if a principal asks us to participate, then we're happy to be there. And the parents might help to be that glue over the summer, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The yeah, there are a lot of schools that do have a really mm-hmm. well-supported yeah. parent network that come and do all of the watering. Um, some ah, schools have a lot of yeah. parents. Yeah, those parents, you know. <laughs> As the kids are on their phone and the parents are watering. <laughs> uh, so 118, gearing up, ramping up, trying to get 200 schools involved. Um, and then what happens? Then you just maintain the gardens? I mean, what? how, how is your organization moving forward? What's next? Um, we've been asked to do a lot of different things. Right now, we are really focused on Chicago public schools, but we also have been asked about things like juvenile detention centers, community centers, even um, for zoo animals. Um, so, you know, growing food pardon. that they can eat. <laughs> wait, so, wait, 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 wait. Back up. Yeah, back but up, the elephants up. can help water. Yeah. <laughs> So you would be growing food well, for animals? That is just ideas that have come our way. Okay. And so right. we're willing to, you know, at least entertain all of those. So we're, we haven't figured that out the next step. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, community centers, juvenile detention centers, I think, you know, the skill of nurturing and growing things, it's something that all people could use and, and benefit from. So, so we'll see. Yeah, well, it makes sense that, you know, once you, hey, you got the schools locked down uh, here. I, I didn't, well, that was a bad choice of uh, words, but uh, 
you, you know, you've got you're growing there, and why not uh, try other things? What do you know about uh, because you're in Denver and you're in L.A. and where else? Like Memphis. Memphis. Yeah. Um, are, are there plans to expand to other cities too? Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh and um, Indianapolis are next, and then um, those will probably break ground this school year. I know Pittsburgh definitely will. Um, and we, the ultimate goal is to be in 10 markets. So we have a couple of more markets to go. Yes, you do. And now, uh, you mentioned that all, all of your funding is, is by donation. Is that it? Mm -hmm. Wow. Can, can the average person contribute? Absolutely. Absolutely. They can do it through our website. Um, so all of the information Mm -hmm. is on there. They can which is thekitchencommunity.org. Yes. Thekitchencommunity.org. You can go there. Uh, in fact, uh, right at the top, it says, Give Now. Uh, and, and, and wow, there's a little sign under it that says, Give Till It Hurts. Uh, no, it doesn't say that, actually. It's a, it says, Give Now. Um, oh, or it says, Apply for a Learning Garden. And that's what you call these mm-hmm. learning gardens, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're in a school, uh, Chicago Public Schools, and listening to this, and you say, hey, how come our school doesn't have a garden? That's one way to approach it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Schools do need to apply. We're actually um, taking applications for our spring build. Our goal is to do another 15 schools in the spring. So um, we are asking that schools apply by Thanksgiving so we can get started with that. And they can. the application is on the website. Um, they get it back to us. We score it, make sure we have funding for it. Um, and then we're in touch with the schools after that. So. All right. So uh, they have until when again? Thanksgiving. 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 Mm-hmm. All right. That's plenty of time. Get out there, folks, and uh, put in your applications. It's only August. Uh, <laughs> and apply for a learning garden. Uh, and uh, Whitney Richardson and Tova McCord, thank you so much for coming. I know, Whitney, you need to get over to the Logan Square Farmer's Market. I'm probably going to go there after awesome. when I get off the air. I usually, on the way back, I, I stop in and pick up something. Uh, and Tova, where do you head to then after this? Well, today I'm actually going to the market. So oh. I've been there a few times, and since I'm over here, figured why not. So Okay. <laughs> Again, thank you very much. It's the Mike Novak Show on Q4 Radio, second big hour coming up. Captain's Log, Stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. You belong among the wildflowers. You belong in a boat out at sea. You belong with your love on your own. You belong somewhere you feel free. 
Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Broadcasting live every Sunday from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, on Q4 Radio, and at MikeNovak.net. Here he is again, Mike Novak. And I played that, of course, uh, in honor of uh, Nick Fuller, who's uh, in the studio. Nick, how are you? I am awesome. There you are. Okay, great. Um, Good morning, Mr. Awesome. (laughs) It's good to have you here. And uh, you know Nick because he is uh, chief cook and bottle washer for a great advertiser on the Mike Novak Show. Uh, And that is Natural Communities Native Plants. Uh, and um, you have a big deal going on. Well, it's a it's a it's a it's a little deal with uh, my show, um, and uh, folks can get a, a discount on uh, native plants that they buy um, before the end of the month. What what do folks have to do? Uh, so when they're ordering plants, uh, when you're at the checkout, just enter Mike Novak in the discount box. And oh, then obviously online. This is online. Online sales. Yeah. Right. And then, uh, and then you'll receive 10% off of sales until August 31st. And so uh, when you order plants this fall, you'll receive them uh, about, uh, we'll shut down sales on September 15th, and then we will uh, ship plants or have them ready for local pickups soon after that. Mm-hmm. So when you shut down sales on September 15th, what does that reflect in terms of the culture of native plants? We well, kind of have like two really really good windows to plant mm-hmm. uh, native plants. You got the spring, and then you got the fall. And the reason why we're shutting down at that point is we want to have people install plants at the correct time of the year, so that they're going to establish enough to get their roots developed before they go through the winter freeze thaw process. Mm-hmm. And, uh, because, uh, like, like you know, obviously, if you're doing seed, that's a different story. Um, but if you're doing plugs. And small plants. What what size plants do you have again? If we can do them in plugs, we want to do plugs. And the reason why is they're cheaper, they're easier to install. And for most native plants, when you install them by a plug, they, they're like a fully developed plant within the first growing season typically. Oh, uh, really? Okay. Yeah. So that it depends. gets you them know, off to a good start. Yeah. And, you, don't, you know, uh, if you're buying in gallons or five gallons, we try to stay away from that. First of all, it doesn't ship well. Um, but secondly, you got to dig a hole that's you know two feet across and two feet deep, so it's not the easiest thing to do. <laughs> that's so. true. Um, uh, so we, you and I, had a conversation uh, uh, via email the other day um, about the kinds of things that people can uh, plant and experience and enjoy native plants in the uh, in the fall, late summer, fall. Uh, let's talk about some of those plants and, and which are good to get in the ground. Now, let me ask you, we'll get to that in a second. Let me ask you about spring ephemerals. Uh, a lot of them, the way a spring ephemeral works often is, is that the, the plant dies back to the soil level uh, after it leaves out and blooms in the spring. Do you sell those in the fall too, and and and, ha- and tell people you got to trust the roots are there, and it's actually something's going to come up in the spring, or is it just too hard to sell? 
I think right now uh, we are kind of staying away from that. Well, first, because they're so popular, we usually sell out in the spring. Well, that's um, a good thing. That's yeah. a good thing to have happen. And second of all, it uh, people may get a pot of soil and then be like, well, what am, what am I buying here? What did I buy? That's, I and that, that's what I was so, referring to is yeah. that it, you have to have faith, folks, so <laughs> that if – if Nick sells you a pot of soil, a nice pot of soil right here, and I have a couple of beans, and they're going to grow to be a giant <laughs> stalk. Yeah, um, so right now we're kind of steering away from that. We may over time, um, if we can have the get the stocks high enough, and we can write a, a, a really well written kind of explanation of what you're going to get, then we may kind of move into that. So uh, basically, they're bulbs. So they're, you're kind of planting bulbs if you were to do that, just like you would be planting. Uh, tulip bulbs or something like that and that's why fall is a really good time to start planting mm-hmm. and kind of what we're we're hoping people do is instead of maybe planting uh, just your traditional bulbs maybe replace a couple of those bulbs and go with uh, native plants or even native shrubs and trees and you guys were uh, you know talking with Stephen from G-Ride you guys were talking about the the loss of trees that we've had across the country yeah in the Chicago area you know for uh, native plants everywhere you looked you had a native plant until we came and we developed it, and we've lost 99.9% of that native plants in the Chicago area. Yeah, and we put we put all kinds of stuff that, uh, you know, like uh, Norway maples. Yeah, and, and so we replaced <laughs> it, and then also concrete and, and buildings and stuff like that. Sure. So we've lost all those kind of functions. Well, the other thing we did that. is that we drained everything. There was a lot of swamp area yeah, here. I mean, wetlands. Yeah, swamp and wetlands. And uh, if you look... Um, at maps of uh, and I and I've seen some and I think over at Openlands uh, of what this area looked like 150 years ago and then look at it now it's um, amazing. I mean we the idea was we got rid of the water and we put in the uh, cropland and it had just completely changed the nature of the ecosystems in the area. Yeah, virtually 100. percent I mean. Uh, even like the woodlands around here, all the woodlands were virtually clear cut as well, mm-hmm. and they were used to like build the plank roads in Chicago, build all the structures and stuff. And so, even all of our you know like quote unquote like the 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 virgin forests around here really aren't virgin; they're just kind of uh, second growth, but they're very nice. Um, but what we're trying to do is trying to get some of that stuff back into uh, the system and trying to have people build kind of corridors between their house and these kind of core. Uh, natural areas Mm -hmm. and if you can build enough um, people having these native little native gardens and 20 plants 30 plants here they have a corridor to kind of go back and forth in between these natural areas and then you know it it cleans the water cleans the air uh, it helps pollinators so going kind of back to the kitchen community you get a lot of pollinators from native plants and so it helps us create food um, and there's so it's uh, I would say it's one of the top fives that normal citizen things uh, one of the things that they can do in their backyard. Uh, it's inexpensive. You plant 20 plants and you get a huge bang for your buck. But to the average homeowner who just wants a fast growing garden with pretty flowers, how do you sell natives? To, how do you sell the concept of natives? Um, what, what's it doing for them? What's it doing for them in their backyard? Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's basically like a pretty thing. Uh, if you take a look at my website, there's, you know, I've got this huge patch of uh, the native golden, uh, I'm sorry, the showy black-eyed Susan. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I mean, it's spectacular. It grows uh, easily without little maintenance. You don't have to fertilize it. Um, they they flower for a long time, very low maintenance as long as you're planting them properly. But see, that the wrap on 
or the knock on some of these plants is that they don't flower for a long time. But you're saying there's a couple that there's do. there's some that really mm-hmm. and I know that I you yeah, know me too. There's some uh, I, I have some helenium in my backyard which blooms for a long long time mm-hmm. as well. Well, I mean that is kind of the challenge. So like what I'm trying to do now is kind of create one of these uh, like a grouping of the core native plants like the best for landscaping. So they mm-hmm. they flower the long time. If you pair them all together, you get flowering throughout the season. Um, and then if you can get that flowering throughout the season, you throw in a little bit of milkweed in there, then you're going to have butterflies, uh, birds. Like today I just saw a finch kind of feeding off the purple coneflower seeds. And so that's kind of what you're getting. You're getting like this little ecosystem in your backyard, and you get to watch all the nature kind of happen. And, and actually, the nature can happen over the winter as well. You were mentioning purple coneflower. It, it drops the the flower and the seed head stays there and if you leave it up during the winter and 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 if you're not a neatness freak you know one of those people that, and I've seen those people where they will cut everything down and 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 just leave the ground bare and I've seen that with with folks and I go what are you doing what what's what's the matter with you but the finches will come in the winter and other yep. birds will come and and feed off of those seeds during the winter mm-hmm. and uh, like berries on sumac trees that's another thing that's kind of one of the last berries that are on the trees they'll fly in eat those and so you're getting wildlife you're getting you know uh, birds and stuff like that even over the winter um, and then, you know, also when you're leaving them up over the winter, there's insects and things that are living in there mm-hmm. and, uh, some of the microbes in the soil and stuff, it kind of keeps their habitat intact. And that's where that, that cleansing of the water and, uh, all that stuff kind of comes into play because it really is like a little ecosystem that you're putting. Well, in if you, if you leave the detrius, if you leave, let the plant collapse on its own, uh, and assuming that it's not, uh, causing a problem and, and most of the time it isn't, I mean, I, the, view, the, the, the one thing I can say that uh, might be an issue is if you've got lots of trees and all the leaves dump on your lawn and you like your lawn and you don't you want to save that, yeah, you can rake them off that. But then I just rake them into my beds when I do that, into my garden beds. And I let them sit. I, I'm, I can't remember the last time I threw away any leaves uh, except into my compost pile. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time they end up just back in the garden beds themselves. That's what I do. Um, and yeah, okay. So if you got uh, oak leaves that uh, are tougher to break down, there are certain species of tree um, you can chop them up. You know, you can mow them and then again rake them back in, leave them on the lawn at that point, or rake them back into uh, the garden bed. Yeah, and you even get a little ecosystem going in your garden, and that help, or in your uh, in your grass, and that even kind of helps with the you know building up like the organic matter and stuff uh, to get a better turf lawn. Uh, by the way, you were talking about corridors of of wildlife and plants um i'm involved in this uh group called the uh, chicago area living corridor alliance or calca and it's just started and it, it, it's it started last year when doug Tallamy came to town and the idea is to encourage wildlife in as many places as possible whether it's industrial areas or or corporate campuses or backyards or schools or any place you've got an open area where you can encourage wildlife to be able to connect uh, uh, and create a corridor from one area to, to from one open area to another because as you said we've paved over so many things that backyards actually help yeah and, I, you know one of the biggest movements kind of in like the the natural landscaping area so we've We've largely, I think, got buy-in from a lot of the public agencies. 
So forest preserves, obviously, that's their mission. Um, park districts, they're starting to do it. Schools are starting to put in these native gardens. And so one of the last kind of like outliers out there is private institutions. So it makes sense for corporate campuses to put in native landscaping because it's uh, much cheaper than having somebody come out there mowing and fertilizing every week. Uh, you know, it's got a return on its investment within just a couple of years. Um, and then also homeowners and kind of uh, smaller businesses, too, where they can even just put in little strips of native landscaping. Um, and we're actually trying to develop a kind of an urban garden. So, like, if people can do it out on their um, their patios, like in Chicago, I'm trying to develop that right now. And what we're trying to use is some of the really, really dry, hardy species uh, that you'd find in really dry I'm glad you, um, you say that because, uh, especially in the front of buildings in the city, parkways, parkways are notoriously tough. They're just brutal. Usually the soil is compacted. Uh, it gets salt in the winter. Uh, it dries out in the summer. Um, if you've got a tree there, and they're often Norway maples and other awful non-native trees, uh, especially a Norway maple, it's shaded out so you can't grow anything. And the, Large the, piles of snow get dumped on it in the winter. Yeah, it gets uh, scraped by snow yep. plows. Snow plows. <laughs> snow, you know, piles of snow uh, infused with salt. And stuff. And stuff. And, and oils. And all and and all the stuff that's in the street, and that all gets dumped. And well, no wonder plants don't survive. So I've got this parkway, and it's got a lot of non-natives in it. And the reason is, I was just putting anything that would survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I would like you know, and with your help, Nick, I'm going to try to ease into some things that are, for instance, um, we. Uh, and I'm going to give Kathleen the credit for this. She managed to grow uh, four little blue stems from seed. Well, three of them have kicked the bucket. Yeah. But the fourth is rocking. I mean, it's so happy, and it's in the Does parkway. Get a bearding? Yeah, it gets a bearding. <laughs> Thank you, Kathleen. I'm glad one of them survived because I would have taken the <laughs> blame for that. I mean, I'm 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 I feel like I sh- it's my job to keep them alive. But you were nodding. Is it difficult to raise them from seed and keep them going? Well, I would say the challenge uh, from kind of a layperson standpoint from seed is yeah. that uh, it takes several years to get them from seed to maturity. And in that time, you've got to maintain the weeds around it. And so, you, yep. you know, typically, like when you're looking at larger landscapes, we do use seed. And what we'll do is we'll install it. And then it seems kind of counterintuitive. Um, but what we do is we mow it for two years to control the weeds so that the uh, they're not reproducing. And then the second thing is is that it keeps the um, the native seedlings um, kind of exposed, and so they're getting the sunlight that they need, they're getting the nutrients, they're getting um, uh, the water that they need, all that type of stuff. So basically, we're mowing it for two years, and in, um, you may you may need to do that, you know, at, at your home. But uh, sometimes people go to kind of hand weeding around it, and then they don't they can't identify what a native seedling is versus the weeds, and so that's kind of the challenge with yeah with seed so I, it's funny you should say that because i've got a, a flat of some native plants <laughs> that i got last year and they overwintered they're sitting in the backyard in a sheltered spot and they overwintered some of them came back but also weeds came back with them and this is in the the pack the 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 the, um, the whatever the plastic it's made of um and now I'm looking at them and go, okay, which ones are the natives and which ones are the weeds? And when they're small, it's sometimes it's hard to identify them. 
Yeah, it's even hard for me, like when I go out, you know, on a, on a restoration project mm-hmm. or something, I'm looking at it, and uh, I've got a kind of a, a kind of core set of plants that I look at. I'm looking at like purple coneflowers, yellow coneflowers, um, uh, black-eyed Susans, uh, Monarda, that type of stuff, and those are like the indicator species, so if you seed it and you see those, you're like, okay, it's doing, it's doing good. If you don't see them, then you're like, something happened, the seed washed away, whatever, I don't know, but... Um, and so you, you really have to be able to key in on some of those kind of indicator species or, uh, or you're not going to be able to tell if it was successful or not because seed is not always successful. Um, yeah. And that's kind of why I went with the plant route because I feel it's more intuitive for people to plant plants and then they can identify it immediately. Although um, I, I know people, and Peggy is one of them also, I think, uh, who they'll just scatter seed in their yard, uh, native plants, and whatever comes up comes up, and mm-hmm. then, you know, in a couple of years, you kind of know if it some of it's been successful and some of it hasn't. And if and if that works, then it it, it works great because they they grow um, where they're happy. Yep. Uh, and then you don't have to put the square peg into the round hole, which a lot of folks do with plants. And they say, you know, and and, and folks ask me in garden clubs, why why are weeds so successful? And I say because. The, you're not trying to force them into that area where you want that plant, mm-hmm. okay? You're trying to make that plant work there, and you got that little spot by the fence, and you really want it to work there. The seed doesn't care. The seed just will go wherever it wants to go. Um, and it's, or wherever the squirrel puts it. Or wherever the squirrel. <laughs> exactly, if it's the bulb. I mean, I find stuff all over the place, and I know the squirrels have had a hand in it, uh, you know, bulbs especially. Um, and even even, like, Allium bulbs, and I what well, I get the feeling that the squirrel dug it and went, oh, this this is stinky. I don't want Yuck. this, and and then and then just dropped it someplace, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's possible that that happened. Uh, that is Nick Fuller from uh, Natural Communities Native Plants. You can go to naturalcommunities.net. Well, now wait natural a second. Communi- I'm looking myshopify.com. Yeah, it's, it's, what's uh, that? So I'm in, I'm in kind of a transition phase where I'm moving from my new domain name. Um, ah, okay. And so I'm I'm still kind of in that process. But if you click naturalcommunities.net, it will bring you to my my website. Okay. Yeah, it just automatically puts it in there. Okay. Getting back to uh, little blue stem, you got you got any of those in plugs? Uh, I do have little blue stem. Um, since you didn't have success in that area, I have the before. one which is beautiful and it's right in front, so I'm real happy. But now if I could put a few more and then we can pretend Kathleen's seed survived. <laughs> no, but I point. would like to because that I want to start to make that transition because I know that once the little blue stem takes hold there, I don't have to worry about watering anymore, basically. Yeah, and, and uh, so there's kind of two points there that, that you bring up. So when people have really challenging areas, um, I would say test plants out, and then if it works, you know, go with those. If it doesn't work out or if it's partially worked out, you know, maybe, uh, maybe try it again and kind of see what's going on. Uh, but that's a good way to test it in these really challenging areas is to start with something that's more resilient, and then if you really want to get crazy after that, then go with something else. And then the second thing is um, with the fall planting, um, because you're planting it in the fall, it's establishing its roots virtually like next year. You don't even... You pretty much almost never have to water it if you're planting, unless we get an extreme drought or something. Mm-hmm. But you install in the fall, and you pretty much have to do nothing except for you know maybe weed it and put down some mulch and whatever. But um, that's why it's one of the, the better times of the year. But yeah, a little blue stem. I think I think if you've gotten one to work there, we can go down that road and 
and see what else is going to work. All right. Well, okay. While we're talking about my parkway, and let's let's do the diagnosis here live on the Mike Novak show, uh, <laughs> because I, I'll I'll never remember to pick up the phone and call you and ask you about it. Okay. So I got this harsh area, and uh, the soil's not great. It's hard to amend. The city, in its infinite wisdom, put two trees on my parkway. Not just one, but two on the same stretch of parkway. And they're both uh, hybrid elms of some sort. One of them uh, is a pretty nice tree. The other one gets, uh, what's the fungal disease that they all, anthracnose. Gets anthracnose every spring every spring and the leaves look i mean i want to girdle that tree uh and just say to the city Make it go away oh gosh i don't know what happened it just up and died um because it's it's awful uh so at certain times of the year they the trees really shade out the the parkway uh but in the uh spring and fall the sun is at an angle, so actually it gets sun. Mm-hmm. All right, it's only in, when it's straight overhead in the summer that it, it shades out the the parkway. So what? Okay, we I, we've established that little blue stem seems to do pretty well there. It looks great. The one we've got. What else would you recommend? So is your street kind of going north to south? It is east west. It's east west, and yeah. then and so we have and and it, we're on the north side. So you've got a southern southern exposure. exposure. There. And I've got the exact okay. opposite. I have a northern exposure east-west okay. with two trees. Okay. Oh, my so goodness. Is, so you got this. <laughs> so I've got the mirror image with two oaks. Oh, gosh. Oh, except you've got oaks. See, i got these hybrid elms, one of which is just awful. And my yard sounds like yours because I've got the two hybrid elms, although Mine. I'm on a north to okay. south street. But okay. um, what I'm looking at, I probably have to dig into it a little bit more, maybe see a picture and stuff like that. But just off the top of my head. Um, some of the, some of the plant, I go with like some really tough native plants. And, uh, so what I was thinking about in my yard is uh, wild petunia. And if you want this stuff to cover the ground and not really have to worry well, guess about what? weeds. I've got it in the backyard. Do you? A couple of years ago, was it a couple of years ago? Last year? No, it must've been last year because I bought a, a bunch of it, like three or four plants. Um, and I think I got it from possibility place. Maybe it was Piso. I'm trying to remember who, where I got them. Um, and I put them in a berm because I, I had gotten one, a single uh, wild petunia, which is Ruellia. Yeah. So, okay, Ruellia, because I've seen it both ways, Ruella and Ruellia. I had gotten one, I think, from, um, boy, I can't, like, no names are coming into my head here at the moment. But the point is I had one several years ago, and it had done great. And it was in this area, and I never paid attention to it, and, and I would go there every year, regardless of whether I watered, regardless of what happened, there'd be the little Ruelia blooming. So I thought, okay, I want more of those. And I got a bunch more, and I put them in, and they're just beautiful. They work great, and they apparently do well in dry areas. Yeah, they love it dry. That's That plant is the thing that kind of sparked off the uh, the kind of the urban kit for planters because i had one of those plants in a one gallon pot Uh, this is before i ever started the company um and i did nothing to it for three years i didn't water it i didn't bring it inside and that thing was a trooper it lasted it was like thriving um throughout three seasons did nothing to it nothing no Hmm. you know no fertilizer no watering Mm -hmm. nothing and that's why i was like man that thing is uh, just a resilient plant and that's why i think it may work better in the kind of the parkway situations it also kind of forms like a shorter 
kind of ground covery. Yeah, uh, spot. it does. Yeah. And then I've also seen recently where I've seen it growing in, I wouldn't call it deep shade, but I would call it like shadier spots. Because normally it, it's from like a dry prairie where it's full sun. It's getting blasted all the time with, with sun. But I've seen it growing in some shady spots, which also makes it more of an interesting choice yeah. for uh, those types of areas. So. Mm-hmm. Twice I've planted mine in semi-shade and it just doesn't come back. Yeah. So it, it probably needs more sun. Yeah, yeah. It pro- I mean, it needs sun. Um, that's why I kind of have to see like how much sun you have. I think there's so. enough. I, I really do. I think it's. Uh, uh, and by the way, the very first time I had it was from Roy Diblick at Northwind Perennial Farm, oh, okay. and that was the one I got. Like a, I bought like one plant just to see how it would work, and it it's there years later, just doing great. That's why I bought more, and they're doing great in my backyard. But I could even dig those up and put them in the parkway in front. Uh, but I like the way they look in the backyard, so maybe I'll just get more. So that's that's a. I think that will work. I think that's a great choice. The little blue stem keys me into that. Probably will work because if that little blue stem's living and it's getting enough light and it's thriving, that's that kind of keys me in that that's probably going to work there too. So. Okay. Any others that pop into your head? Um, some of the other ones. Uh, there's some coreopsis uh, that that ah. thrives pretty well. It spreads through its roots. So you got these these two plants because they are so hardy. Um, you, if you don't want them, if you want them to fill in, they're awesome. Um, if you plant them with other plants, they can they can be kind of aggressive if you have a couple of them planted there. So you just have to use it the right way. Mm-hmm. And these are the two plants that I'm looking at using in my uh, you know in my um, uh, the area next to the street between the sidewalk because I want that to fill in. And I don't want it to think about it. I just want it to be native. I don't. It's impossible to mow it because it's on a steep slope. And I'm like, just put it in those and just let it do its thing. So, and, what kind uh, of coreopsis is this? Uh, I'm trying to think of the species name. I'm looking on your website for it, but it's not coming to mind right now. It's okay. It's, it's, don't worry uh, about it. Coreopsis palmata. Palmata. Yep. That's uh, so that one spreads through its roots uh, pretty well. So like one plant's going to give you like a really big. Oh really? Yeah. It's going to. But it needs so. a certain amount of sun, obviously. Yeah, I think that one could probably do part shade as yeah. well. Yeah. Well, that's it. Sounds again perfect for my. Yeah, the parkway. little blue stem kind of tells me that that's probably going to work. Got that so. and the uh, lanceolata on your site. Yeah, that one. I, I that one I think may not may not work as well, but. Yeah. Well, uh, Peggy's taking the notes here, so we're just when we sit down, we're just going to. <laughs> uh, try that out on you. Uh, by the way, uh, that's Nick Fuller from Natural Communities Native Plants, naturalcommunities.net, as he changes over his uh, uh, server. And um, how has the year been? I mean, you, you've been out there. How many events have you done? Um, what's been the reaction to uh, your, 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 your business? Uh, I definitely, I think I sold about four times as much as I did last year. Wow. And so I think that's a positive direction. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to make some connections. I think I did five-ish plant sales this year. I did more last year just trying to get the, the word out on the street. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get into Chicago somewhere. And I don't believe that there is, uh, somebody may have to tell me this, or maybe they can let you know, but I do not know of a single native plant sale in Chicago. I know of some in Cook County, but I don't know of one in Chicago. There must be one. There must, okay, you know who would know is Sarah Batka, mm-hmm. if she's listening, because uh, she knows everything about plant sales and events, that, because she's the Chicago Master Gardener Coordinator. Awesome. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so, Sarah, is there a, a native plant sale in the city of Chicago? I'm thinking maybe North Park Nature Center okay. might have one. That, that might be true. If, if anybody was going to have one, they would. That's where it would be. Uh, so you want to get in something like that, too. Yeah, it seems like it's really underserved. Um, you know, if you've only got one plant sale and it's, it's on one side of town, it, you know, there's a lot of people and it's, yeah. it's hard to get up that way. So would you start your own or you're just trying to glom on to somebody's plant sale? I was trying to tap into some events or a plant sale uh, or really anything. The, the other the other kind of interesting thing is it seems like the, the green fairs kind of dried up, except for I think there is one green music fest uh, mm-hmm. that's coming to mind. But those green fairs that they used to have, those those had kind of dried up, too. It well, the big like, one so. in the city has moved on. Yeah. Um, McHenry County Community College has one in November. Okay. So I'll, I'll let you know about that because right. we're going to be sponsoring that one. The uh, which one? The McHenry County College Green Expo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, um, you, you, both of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> let me know. <laughs> let me know what I need to do. Let me know Your when I goes up there. Let me know when I need to sign something. Okay. Uh, tell me about. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. But um, and Lake County College has County Green initiative as well. Yeah, and then last weekend the was the, there was a green fair on the Fox, on the Fox too, and there's a couple in the suburbs, mm-hmm. but I'm talking like Chicago. Yeah, it no, seems and, like and, it and folks up. in the city want to grow natives right. too. Yeah, and when you go to the garden centers, um, a lot of them have native plants, but limited, limited, very limited, and they're yeah. kind of droopy. Um, yeah, it doesn't encourage you to buy them uh, a lot of times. Um, I, I was at a garden center yesterday, and it kind of had these hand-lettered signs that said, Native plants? It's just sad. <laughs> like, what? I've heard stories, too, where people are telling people that they're natives, and they're not really natives. Uh, they're, they're native ours, maybe? They're native ours, or uh, maybe they, are, they, have a, they don't have the depth of knowledge, possibly, to, um, to kind of educate the public on some of this stuff. And that's where, that's where I thought we fit in. Uh, well, so yeah, uh, and and folks don't know what a native var is. Basically, it's a it's it's a hybrid of a plant that was a native started as a native, and you know, and, and a lot of the monarda that people grow, the, the monarda I grow, mm-hmm. you know, um, they they find these. Uh, I, I had uh, Dan Costa was on uh, the show. He's been on the show recently, and he explained. We we talked about um, a monarda didyma. Uh, and people don't consider that the native. It's uh, not bergamot. Um, yeah, that one's native to the Smoky Mountain area, I think. Yeah. So it's, it's native to the it's United native States. It's native to the United States, yeah. but it's a different and, – and people like it because the color is brighter than the Monarda fistulosa, which is the pale purple mm-hmm. uh, or pale pink that, that you see. Uh, but that's still beautiful, too. Oh, it's, it's really beautiful, yeah. Yeah. Um, so going – well, this isn't city of Chicago. It's Oak Park. It's closer. The West oh, Cook people Wild in Oak Park think they live. Yeah. No, they want they want to tell you that they live in Chicago, yeah, but they but don't. Not. You know, yeah, they have they do have a grant a great plant sale too. Oh um, yeah, they, but yeah, yeah, but not just, in Chicago. Nope, Lurie Garden, but I don't know that that is actually a native plant sale. It well, probably has well, some. I bet. Yeah, well, they have they grow all kinds of stuff there, and that's the whole idea of the Lurie Garden is is putting plants native and non-native uh, in situations where they play nice with each other and look mm-hmm. beautiful. Uh, the whole Pete Udolph. Oh, West Cook Wild one just put up. They're having their native tree and shrub sale. I did see that. Yeah, but I think that's That's not Chicago, though. That, that's West Oak Park, Cook. isn't it, Sarah? Yeah. Oh, 
Sarah put that up there? Yeah. Ah, see, we're looking for in the city. I can give you Lake County ones. Conserve Lake County's doing theirs, and I've got at least two other Lake Counties. But, yeah, in the city, I'm tweeting, does anyone know of a native plant sale within the city of Chicago? And if you uh, get it to us, we'll give you a big Mike Novak show prize. Uh, we don't Attack know. of the killer asparagus? Probably. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the trunk, so that's, that's, that'll, that's what's going to go up. Yes, go ahead. I was going to ask, so if you want to put in natives this fall and you're just starting with a piece of lawn, how should you prepare that area? Yeah, the, the prep is probably the single most important thing that you need to do. And so, I'm glad I um, asked that question. <laughs> um, so I, I can kind of start from like the greener side of things and then go to like the non-greenest option. But basically you can, uh, you can rent like a sod scalper or if you're really feeling ambitious, you can get your shovel out and you can uh, like a flat bladed shovel mm-hmm. and kind of cut that stuff out. If it's a small enough scale, that's probably what I would do. That's what I've done in my yard. Um, I've seen people use uh, where they'll, they'll lay down uh, black plastic and cardboard, that type of stuff, to kind of smother the grass out. That takes a really long time to do that. And the, and the, you, and the garden professors frown on that sort of thing. They yeah, it just, probably kills the, definitely it, not it kills, fabric. It kills the biology. It kills yeah, it everything. Does. Yeah. And I, I would probably steer people away from it for that reason. But then also, do you know if the grass is dead or not? Because if the grass is not dead, then you're you're really in, in a, a, a world a of hurt. Yeah, because you trying to get the turf out if it's in there is, oh, yeah. is just so hard. So. You know what, uh, Dr. Linda Chalker Scott, who's been on the show with, the, and she's with the Garden Professors. Her her advice always is twelve inches of mulch. <laughs> you know, eight to twelve inches of mulch, and just put it down because it's all organic. It all breaks down, and then. That's the, you know, and it maintains the biology and, and, you know, there you go. And that's how you do it. I double down on that. I get rid of the turf grass and the, and put in mulch. Um, Very good. Yeah. 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 That's, and then the the mulch. And if you have, what if you have compacted soil? Do you, do you advise, you know, rototilling it or anything like that or not? It's crazy how natives can grow in just about anything. That's Um, kind of what I was hoping he'd say. All right, good. Yes, yeah, rototilling no, is the scourge like of, of, of good gardening. I'm trying to um, get folks away from the, the, those people who rototill twice a year religiously. Okay, It's a cult, basically, yeah. rototilling. Yeah, I mean, uh, I would just make sure that if you're planting into to really compacted soils, the, the great thing about native plants is they're sending out all these roots every year, and then some of them die back. It's not uh, hurting the plant, but that's just the way that they operate. And then, again, the next year they're shooting out brand-new roots, and that's really adding a lot of carbon to the soil, and it's going to start fluffing the soil up. And then the other thing it does, too, is it's actually storing carbon, so it's kind of mitigating climate change. And so that's one of the other reasons why native plants are so good. Um, but I, I, I personally wouldn't really worry about it unless it's like concrete from a construction project or something like that. Then if it's been driven over by, like, construction equipment mm-hmm. or something, then you might want to consider potentially the first time. <laughs> yeah, well, that's been the case. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, I don't even know if you could plant in it in that condition, but... Yeah, usually just uh, you know prepping it, making sure you don't have weeds. And I'm going to drill a hole in this asphalt and throw some <laughs> seed in here. You'd be surprised where plants grow. It's I know. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, listen, let me tell you about it. Uh, one of the things that is growing in my parkway, another native, cup plant. And you look it up, and it says it likes moist soils. Tell that to the cup plants growing in the cracks in my alley. They can't okay? Read. No, they can't. They don't know. And the, it's everywhere. And that you have to be careful sometimes. Like secret about is out. that. 
Yes. Yeah, and I listened to the one of the one of your episodes recently where you're talking about the cut plant and yeah. the invasive versus uh, aggressive. Aggressive. Yeah, and I would definitely be using an aggressive terminology on that one because usually, like the invasive is like something that uh, negatively impacts the ecology. That's the way that we think mm-hmm. about it. So, yeah, and I think you guys had kind of corrected that in that show, but just to bring that. Well, up that was one more uh, time, Sarah so. Batka who uh, was uh, uh, making sure that we didn't use the wrong terminology so thank you so oh um getting warmer she says she just tweeted getting warmer how about a seed exchange Eleven six at north park village nature center in chicago yeah but then you're not going to be able to get those seeds in until the spring well no i actually seeding most native plants is actually better in the fall and the reason why all right make me look like an idiot okay thanks <laughs> and well, even after even in november yeah, the so uh, you know most native plants need something called stratification, right? Mm-hmm. And so what that is is it needs the freeze thaw process to break dormancy, and uh, most grasses do not need that. So if you're seeding grasses in the spring, you're fine. Most native uh, sedges and grasses, or most native sedges and forbs, so flowers, need a certain period of that stratification. So if you're doing a fall seeding, November, December is perfect and probably the single best time to seed as long as you've prepped. If you didn't prep, hold off till the spring, make sure you get it prepped. And then in the spring, what you can do, uh, so if you purchase seed or if you, you go through a seed exchange, what you want to do is the, the cold, moist stratification. Um, and basically what you do is you take your seed, put it into a, uh, a wet paper towel, put it inside of a Ziploc bag, stick it in your fridge, and there's some information out on the, the web, not on my website, but out in the internet of how long you need to do that. Different plants need different times. Some of them are 30 days. Some of them are up to an entire year. So uh, those plants, you should probably just let nature uh, take its course. Really, in general, it's best to just put them out in nature in the winter because that's when they mm-hmm. normally would have been dropped off the plant. Right. And let it let it work that way. But if you're really trying to force it in the spring, the, the, the refrigerator or looks pretty good. get plugs. I think mm-hmm. wild ramps are like that. They've got a very, very long time. And they're really to hard that. to grow. That's yeah. another thing that I was trying to get into because we're in the, in the forest preserves around the Chicago area. We're actually having major issues with poaching of ramps mm-hmm. or wild leeks and uh, on all the onions and stuff. And so I'm trying to make it available through plants where people can start growing them in their yard and then eating them because there's been a big push from some of the um, the foodies the, to try and get this. Uh, I've never grown ramps. I, I think maybe it's time. To do that. All right. We, and speaking of time, we're out of it. Uh, Nick Fuller from uh, Natural Communities, Native Plants. Go to naturalcommunities.net. Uh, proud sponsor of the Mike Novak Show. And I'm glad that uh, that you've been on board and um, continued success to you. Thank you. Could I throw one thing in about my blog? Yeah. Um, so oh, that's real, right. Yeah, because you, you have a blog. Um, so I started a blog, and if you guys have questions uh, about native plants, how to control weeds, how to best manage, how to best plant, what plants to select, any of that type of stuff, I'm trying to make a huge resource on our website that's searchable. So um, we're, de- we're starting to develop it right now. Um, but that blog, if anybody has questions, just submit an email, and then I will incorporate that into our blog. And our blog is located um, on the Internet at www.naturalcommunities.myshopify.com. 
forward slash blogs forward slash news and you can also access it's a long <laughs> no one. nobody's going to fo- no. follow that so what's the easy way to find it go so to go to my website uh, there's like a, a a bar at the top with text go to the right hand side of that you'll see blogs yeah there you social go. media yep. yeah and yep. it's that's the easiest way to access it so okay all right thank you. thank you thank you did you know that genesis is the midwest's largest source of airbrush supplies find out more at chicagoairbrushsupply.com or artsupply.com or stop into their showroom at 2525 North Elston and say that you heard about them on Q4 Radio or the Mike Novak Show and get an extra 10% off their already discounted prices. Genesis, Chicago's only privately owned art supplier, serving all of Chicago's artistic framing and drafting needs since 1946. Rick DeMaio weather coming up in just a sec. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in the Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to live healthier lives. And Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings, it's the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even healthy pets. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food you'll always find tasty recipes and cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to help keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Chicago and suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us online at nachicagonorth.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Spending more time at home these days? Give yourself some room. Renovate your basement or attic. You'll increase your living space and your home's resale value, too. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for your remodeling needs, including additions, renovations, and other home improvements. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. My buddy, Mike Novak, works for an outfit that is trying to take over the country, but in a good way. Here's what I mean. He writes a column for Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, and that magazine is published by the same folks who publish magazines in 21 states, from Minnesota to Florida, from Pennsylvania to Oklahoma. They're called State by State Gardening. And in most of the Midwest and the South, you can get your hands on a magazine that is going to teach you a lot about gardening in your own state. These great publications feature articles by some of the leading gardening experts in each state, including famous authors, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and even Mike. Well, you can't hit a home run in every at-bat. And who knows, if your state doesn't have a state-by-state gardening magazine, they might very soon. Subscribe today by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. That's 888-265-3600. 
I have no peers when answering inquiries on the telephone and fielding questions that would make a seasoned academic groan. It's not enough to know your pruning dates and germination stats. You must be an authority on deer and squirrels and bees and bats. As far as public speaking opportunities, I've never ducked. I wax at length on why the Bradford pairs and Leyland self-destruct. In short, with just a smattering of facts and no apology. I've earned the title master, though it may be ornamentally. He's earned the title master, though it may be ornamentally. He's earned the title master, though it may be ornamentally. He's earned the title master, though it may be ornamentally. For all my skill and stature, I remain quite humble and prefer that trainees, when we socialize, are not obliged to call me sir. But still, in matters seedy, one would not be remiss to infer I am the very model of a modern master gardener. But still, in matters seedy, we would not be remiss to infer he is the very Morning, Mike. How oh, there are you? He is. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you were across the room. You know, this has not been the smoothest uh, technical program this morning. Um, oh well, that's the way it goes sometimes. You expected otherwise? Uh, no, no, because I'm working at our pirate radio, our, our, and it's me. You know what can I tell you, uh, Mr. Demayo? How are you? What a beautiful morning. Yeah, uh, considering it's still technically. Um, uh, summer, it doesn't feel like it feels more like a mid-September day, but this is always kind of what you get around mm-hmm. here. Uh, climactically, the last week of August, you get a little hint of, of autumn, and it you know, certainly felt that way yesterday evening as that front rolled through, and it certainly felt that way this morning. If you were out and about like me, I went for a long walk along the lakefront, and 60 degrees never yeah. felt so good after you know several days of high heat and humidity. It was a it was refreshing, but it was definitely something uh, that we know is not too far around the corner. But not, not, not too quickly, but, you know, we know it's going to be coming pretty soon, Mike. But it is interesting, though, that you get these uh, little reminders. Uh, and as uh, mm-hmm. y- you mentioned to me in an email, it sent temperatures plummeting out west. Um, Kathleen's, uh, oh, yeah. s- Kathleen's sister uh, is on a ranch in Wyoming, and she said the temps were supposed to get down to 35 over wow. there. Yeah. Uh, and they were even colder in other places, weren't they, Rick? Yeah. As a matter of fact, yesterday, I always I always like to look at places like Lake Yellowstone, uh, which is obviously the benchmark of cold weather across the lower 48. But, you know, even though that lake is at, you know, 7,800 feet, you know, they woke up yesterday morning, the temperatures, uh, I think it was like 26, 27 degrees, which is still pretty cold even for them. Uh, Jackson Lake, Wyoming, had a low of 32, and I was looking at a couple of webcams, and you can actually see steam um, emanating off of the Snake River and Jackson Lake, which is typically at its warmest this time of the year. It generally gets up to about 70 degrees, and that's usually the first, you know, maybe two or three feet. So even for them, that's a little bit of a cold shot. And then I was looking at a couple of webcam webcams, Mike, up in the um, mountains of Montana and Wyoming, and believe it or not, on Saturday afternoon when those thunderstorms rolled through and produced that two-hour rain delay, because the Cubs are playing the Rockies right now in Colorado, uh, there was snow flying in some of the mountains. It was basically snow showers, and this was up at about eight or 9,000 feet. Uh, but that's a grim reminder to how quickly, you know, things can turn this time of the year. And at the same time, you know, you have these, you know, little blasts of, you know, autumnal air, 
this is the time of the year when the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean actually is reminding us that it's the beginning, literally, of hurricane season down there. So you get these two very, you know, contrasting uh, climactic events that usually occur the the last couple of weeks of um, August and the first couple of weeks of September. And oftentimes we find that this time of the year is kind of boring from the standpoint of weather. There's also a lot of things going on globally that, that makes it kind of interesting weather-wise. Yeah, you're right. It's the juxtaposition. Uh, this is uh, traditionally when the hurricane season really begins to ramp up, isn't it? Yeah, and, and you know, we've been looking at hurricane, or actually hurricane, but tropical storm in Fiona. Uh, it's been pretty much meandering across the southern areas of the Atlantic for the last three or four days. Um, it doesn't look like it's going to become a hurricane. It definitely doesn't look like it's going to threaten anywhere along the U.S. mainland anytime soon. Uh, but this is the time of the year when what we call the low-level easterlies begin to break down a little bit. Um, and then what begins to happen is some of these little waves of, of energy, these tropical storms, or we'd, I'd like to call them just tropical depressions, uh, similar to what came through Louisiana last week, or about now looking at almost 10 days ago, um, they get a little bit more help from what we call the lower levels to the upper levels of the atmosphere. So they can go for two, three, four, maybe even five days, and that's when... Uh, long-range forecast models uh, have been over the last three or four days suggesting two, maybe three different storms moving into the Caribbean and most likely coming to um, hurricane status. Now, you know, it, it's interesting, the, the rainfall that occurred in Louisiana, Mike, you know, you're, you're talking, you know, nearly a year's rainfall for some, for some cities in the United States that occurred uh, in, in about a three-day period. Now, granted, those areas of the United States will get, you know, probably twice as much over a 12-month period of time, uh, but there was no tropical name given to that storm. It just was a, a weak area, low pressure that was helped tremendously, and we've talked about this many times, uh, tremendously by the very, very warm waters of the Gulf of Mexico. And, you know, one thing we've, we've seen with natural disasters, um, outside of heat waves, outside of, of blizzards, outside of severe weather, even outside of land-based or land um, um, you know, forming or, or, or hurricanes that make it onto the land at a certain point. Flooding seems to be the type of natural disaster that has its, its, its tentacles reaching much further than any other weather event, um, and that certainly has been the case down in the Louisiana area. Uh, yeah, you wrote to me um, the other day to talk about that and, and send information about the American Red Cross, which is taking donations for uh, the folks down in Louisiana, but you mentioned that you had done a keynote for them. Go ahead. Yeah, it was last year. I was invited to be the um, uh, keynote speaker at the American Red Cross um, Midwest Conference, um, and I, I gave a, a, a pretty pretty compelling talk about the relationship between a changing climate and the increasing threat of natural disasters. And, you know, some of it I also kind of related to you know, a natural disaster can be compounded by, you know, sometimes a late, um, a late response from the federal government. And it was interesting when I, when I put that in there, the woman was very kind to say, you know, let's not bring politics into this particular situation, which was probably the case. I probably shouldn't have. But you know me, Mike. I'm, <laughs> I'm not a one to stray away from situations that could have been handled, you know, a little bit quicker to obviously relieve the pain and suffering of what some people are going through. Now, it, it's interesting to note that 
you know, Donald Trump went down to Louisiana the last couple of days and visited, which was perfectly fine. Um, and at first, he was kind of criticizing President Obama for, for not going down there. But, but what a lot of people don't realize, when you have flooding, um, most of the roads that lead into those areas are, are inaccessible. When you have flooding, most of the people who are, who are helping out, um, you know, the people in need, the last thing they need to do is break off from their routine and all of a sudden become, you know, you know, helping out with the president's, you know, um, you know, aircraft movement down there. So, you know, President Obama knew exactly what he needed to do. He did most of, of obviously, the advising um, remotely. I think one thing he could have done was probably address it nationally and say, due to the fact that, you know, first responders need to be more so responding to people and not me, I plan to go down there in seven days. And I think in typical Obama fashion, as much as I like him, I'll be critical of him, he oftentimes thinks that we know what he's thinking. Um, and that, that wasn't the case. So in a sense, he probably took a little bit of a hit. But I also noticed that in the last couple of days, Donald Trump didn't say anything about the president not going down because he realizes that that's not what president is supposed to do is interfere with, with, the, with the first responders. So um, all said and done, if you can go to AmericanRedCross.org, and I think, Mike, you kind of posted that information as well. There's one thing about flooding. It, it, it's not something that goes away in a day or two. It's not something that goes away in a week or two. And for some people, it doesn't go away for a month or two. This is something that they really need help on. Uh, and I think all of us can kind of do our fair share to help out with that. Yeah, I did post it uh, on uh, my uh, Facebook page, The Mike Novak Show. Uh, so you can uh, you'll have to scroll down just a little bit, but not very far, and you'll see uh, that information. And uh, Or you just go to the American Red Cross, and you can um, find that information there. But, uh, uh, you know, getting away from first responders and, uh, and the government's uh, role in this uh, is nature's role in this. And as you said, oh. this is something we can, we're going to see more and more of in the future. I heard the other day, I heard a statistic, and maybe you can confirm this, that uh, we have 5% more water vapor in our air, in our atmosphere, than we did in 1980. Is that true? You know, I'm, it, it probably is close to that. I've seen numbers anywhere between 3 and 7. So, yeah, it depends on who did the study and, and when that study was done. Um, it, and, it, and it's not so much the amount of water vapor, Mike, but it's also the fact that it's being transported uh, to different areas globally than we've ever seen before. So one of, one of the recent um, streams, if you want to call it, of research has been what we call atmospheric rivers. And, and part of that is due to the fact that now from a, from a satellite standpoint, you can see much more of the world globally than we've ever seen before uh, for a longer period of time. And we've always known this has been the case. But one of the things I do every day, uh, and particularly on Sunday when I go through more of like an hour and a half to two hour weather review, I look at a global satellite perspective of water vapor, and you see these rivers that can sometimes go on for three, four, even 5,000 miles long. So even though the amount of time that water vapor remains in the air, the amount that's in the air longer, it's also reaching areas that we've never seen before. And, and also some recent studies show that not only are we having heavier rain events occur more frequently, but, but they're occurring in areas where you just have more and more populated regions, and the ability to get to these people and help them out um, is becoming more and more difficult. So when, when someone says that climate change isn't a big deal, 
it's not so much that the climate change may not be as big of a deal as they think, but it's the response, it's the adaptation and mitigation that makes it much, much more difficult uh, than we ever seen before. And, you know, here is the Red Cross is, is asking for help for an event that wasn't even a tropical storm nor a hurricane. And, Mike, we haven't even gotten into the hurricane season yet. So think about what happened back in 2011 when we had that disastrous tornado outbreak. When we got into the following year in February, early 2012, when we had that incredibly warm spring, there wasn't even enough money to go to help out some of the people in southern Indiana due to an F4 tornado because we ran out of money. So this is one of the problems with, with climate change. It's the ability to build up your resources before some of these climactic extremes occur. And they've been occurring, obviously, as you mentioned, with the increase in water vapor at an alarmingly uh, much higher rate than they were even 20 or 30 years ago. And, th- and that's even before you have the climate change deniers out there who are, are, are thwarting our efforts to, to be prepared for these kinds of events. Um, all yeah, right. But, but, yeah. Yeah. Just but just like we've seen with with other things, those numbers, the climate deniers seem to be going down. So um, that then and, and hopefully that number will continue to dwindle. Uh, I noticed something that Kathleen just before we get to the forecast here, some uh, Kathleen sure. posted on uh, the Mike Novak show. And I didn't even know this until looking at it right now. Apparently, there's a total solar eclipse. Uh, it, oh, oh, it's in 2017 on August 21st. So a year from today. There's going to be mm-hmm. a total solar eclipse that is going to, if you go to southern Illinois, you'll see it. You'll, you'll be able to see totality. I have a feeling, uh, road trip. Uh, <laughs> Do I, I hear remote broadcast? I hear rem- remote broadcast from the t- solar eclipse. Wow, that's yeah. Cool. I'll, I'll make I'll make sure that my forecast for that day doesn't include the words mostly sunny. How about that? <laughs> of course. Uh, so now, uh, I, I think. I think but before we get into the forecast, I know that's where you want to go. I think the last time we had a total solar eclipse um, had it been about maybe 10 or 12 years ago. Um, and it's interesting because it, it gets kind of dark, but you could still see a lot of brightness, particularly um, if it happens right over here. So it'll be interesting to see when that occurs and, and what it does look like. Well, it looks like, according to the map, it sort of runs through Portland, Oregon, and then, mm-hmm. you know, Denver and... Heads uh, out South Carolina. Heads and Southern Illinois, and then, as you mm-hmm. said, heads out of South Carolina. So a lot of people in the country are going to be able to see this. Wow, it's very cool. Look at the cities it yeah. goes. Yeah, it, it, it seems like we have, you know, we're, we're aware of more and more of these things because, um, you know, not only due to the scientific information out there, but the ability to get this stuff, whereas before sometimes you had to wait like maybe a week before. Yeah. Um, but but getting, getting to the forecast, uh, nice day today if you're heading down to the uh, lakefront to see the air and water show. Even though we have this low cloud deck over us right now, it's based at about 2,500 feet. That should thin out a little bit over the next few hours. So it'll allow us to have some sunny conditions here by the afternoon. 73, 74 will do it for a high. Still normal high for this time of the year is 80. An absolutely beautiful next couple of days. Uh, 80 for a high tomorrow, 82 on Tuesday. And then a good shot of um, moisture comes back into the area. So showers, thunderstorms likely Tuesday night into Wednesday and into Thursday. Uh, and then we cool down again. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the end of this week, we'll see temperatures go back down into the uh, generally upper 70s, lower 80s. So the overall 6 to 10 day and then 10 to 14 day forecast shows slightly to nearly below normal temperatures. But overall moisture from the standpoint of rainfall should be at or slightly above normal. 
And even though we've had about maybe two or three inches in the last seven days in the Chicagoland area, there have been some places down to the south of us that had nearly three times as much uh, last week. Uh, but overall, at least we can say we're done for the rain today, tomorrow, and Tuesday. So three nice days to dry out and enjoy the end of um, what appears to be, a, in my book, a pretty nice summer so far. It, it has been. It has been. It's, I mean, a little more humid than I would like. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, that. <laughs> but think and, of the tomatoes that we've gotten from the Sweden. Uh, yeah, but also think of the mold in the uh, oh, atmosphere well. as well. So there's there's been a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. There, there's been definitely some high levels of mold, high levels of allergies. And um, I agree with um, uh, the statement about the tomatoes. They've been pretty good as well. I've had a lot of caprizi salads. Yeah. All right. Well, Rick DeMaio, thank you so much, buddy. We will talk again next week. And remember, everybody, AmericanRedCrust.org, even if it's five bucks or an old mattress, I'm sure they'll take it. <laughs> I, you know what? Come to my alley. There's a few that are sitting in the uh, alley right now. We can donate those. <laughs> okay, I'll talk to you. Yeah, but you, you got you to remove the person first, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's my neighborhood, so don't even get me started. Okay, I'll talk to you later, Rick. Okay, thank you, Mike. Bye-bye. It's just such a normal occurrence in my, my alley to have this just stuff that that happens there all the time i don't know just out people they don't even bother to use the 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 garbage containers or the recycling bins it's just throw the stuff on the ground but it's amazing where else you see that i i'm i'm thinking of starting to just take photos okay let's okay wait a second i got i got one right here and i took it yesterday because i just okay i'm betting i'm gonna win this competition hold on there it is this is uh outside my neighbors yikes (laughs) nick do you wanna you wanna take a look at that yeah that's uh that's something (laughs) (laughs) these are my neighbors these are this is what you see see the little plastic bag with garbage in it and then doors I like the little mop bucket. The mop bucket that they're throwing away. Cardboard boxes that have been ruined by the rain that they that never made it into the recycling bin. Maybe they're starting a reuse center. Uh, it could be. Swap it, shop. So um, I'm I'm this close to starting to to posting this on Facebook and saying, "Here's the address. These are my neighbors." What you know? Yes, but that could backfire, and more people will bring garbage and leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> It's quite possible that they will. Uh, you got anything uh, else, uh, Peggy, before we get out of here? No, I think that covers it all. All right. So uh, we start with this. And uh, I want to thank everybody who was on the show today, uh, including Nick, Nick Fuller, who's still here. and uh, Stephen Cutter. And, uh, I, and I see that they... Go Ride, yes, it, he's getting some pledges. The pledges have started rolling in on G-Ride, and you can go to uh, Go G-Ride dot com is it dot com or dot yeah i, I believe it yeah yes go or go to my website mikenovak.net and go to this week's show all right until next week go green or go home uh, stadler oh uh, what is that it yes it's over how'd you like it i don't know i slept through the whole thing well you didn't miss much